going to look at a few verses uh, together this morning from the end of Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, the verses are from verse 24 down to verse 28, where the writer is encouraging people to believe in the Lord Jesus, but more than that, he's encouraging people who are already Christians to go on believing in Christ. And um, you will know, uh, I suppose, that uh, the book of Hebrews was written for that reason. It's a book of encouragement. It's a book of warnings as well, because we need warnings and encouragement. But it was uh, written to encourage believers to go on trusting in Christ. And in, uh, right at the end of Hebrews chapter 9, uh, the, the writer, uh, some say it was the Apostle Paul, others dispute that, but we're not going to go into that this morning. Uh, but the writer, right at the end of Hebrews 9, he speaks about <coughs> the three appearances of Christ. And uh, you'll notice them there. Uh, the first one is in verse 24. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, uh, but uh, he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus appears in the presence of God for us. And then in verse 26, uh, it says, Christ has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then in the last verse, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. And I thought it would be good for us this morning to, to consider together, to remind ourselves of those three appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, it's always a good idea when you're reading a book in the Bible uh, to remember why, why a book was written. The book is called Hebrews. Uh, one preacher uh, said many years ago that uh, there, there was a preacher who was giving a long series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, it went on and on and on, and the people got a bit discouraged. And uh, one particular morning, the one person turned to another and said, I'm beginning to wish that those Hebrews had kept that book to themselves. <laughs> Uh, I, I hope none of us would feel like that this morning. The book of Hebrews is written for our encouragement. And uh, these people, uh, they were Hebrews, they were Jews, but they'd become Christians, and they were believers now in the Lord Jesus. And at first, they rejoiced in that. We're even told in the book that when they were persecuted, they, they took it joyfully because they knew they were suffering for Christ. But then, of course, time went on, and persecution began to continue, and things became difficult, and they were faced with a temptation. If they stopped believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, they wouldn't be persecuted. And if they went back to the old ways of Judaism, then the persecution would stop. And so, they were feeling that. Go back to the old ways of Judaism. Don't believe any longer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this book was written for that particular reason. And the writer encourages them to go on believing in Christ. So you, for example, get chapters like chapter 11, by faith, Moses, by faith, Abraham. Uh, and uh, you've got those wonderful words, looking unto Jesus. Continue to believe. In the very last chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The whole book is a book about Jesus Christ, and, and don't give up on Him. Go on believing in Him, no matter what happens. And so they were discouraged, and um, 
And we, we, we are not Jews. We weren't brought up in Judaism. We are Gentiles. But the same temptation comes to us. If you believe in God, people haven't got a problem with that. But once you begin to say that Jesus Christ is the only way, and you stand firm on Jesus Christ, then there's a problem, isn't there? And so we are faced with a temptation to compromise. Don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. Just preach general things about God and nobody will have a problem with you. But we can't do it. And we mustn't do it. We must go on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The great Puritan preacher John Owen in the 17th century, uh, he said about the book of Hebrews that we are to live on the invisible. We must live on the invisible. And the writer here in these verses is reminding us of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And all of us need that. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then you need to be told that there's only one way of salvation, and that is found in Jesus Christ. And then many of us are Christians, we're already believers, and we need to be told exactly the same thing. We need to go on believing in Him and holding fast to His person and His work. So the three appearance of the Lord Jesus, and let, let's look at them in Hebrews chapter 9 in their historical order. Not, not in the order of the verses as they come, but the first one there we want to take is verse 26. Christ has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And in, and in just a short sentence, the, the writer is able to squeeze so much doctrine into that sentence. It's a one, they're wonderful few verses. Christ has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And the word appear there um, in our Bibles, uh, the English versions, of course, the word appear, appear uh, it looks the same. A-double-P-E-A-R. <laughs> but let, let's all pretend this morning that we are Greek experts, okay? Because the New Testament was written in Greek. And actually, the, 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 the three the words for appearance here are different words, which is interesting. And this word in verse 26 means that uh, Jesus, when he appeared on earth, he appeared in true character. He really was God manifest in the flesh. His appearance wasn't a deception. He really was what he said he was. Remember when he's trying to comfort the disciples, or he is comforting the disciples, not trying, in John chapter 14, and uh, Jesus is leaving his disciples, and, and then Thomas and Philip have got questions. And uh, Philip says to, to the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. Do you remember how the Lord Jesus replies? He who has seen me has seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ really was a revelation of God. That's what the word appearance means there in verse 26. He appeared in true character. But the writer wants us to come to the point. Why did Jesus appear on earth? Well, we know that his ministry was important and his teaching was, was, was unique and his miracles were wonderful and all, all, all that Jesus ever did was important. 
but uh, the writer wants us to grasp one particular truth here that when he came into the world he appeared really to put away sin that's why he came he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and many people don't understand that do they some people will say to you and your christian witness well if the lord jesus christ is victorious you know and he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords and christianity has been in the world for two thousand years why is the world in such a mess christianity has failed and then you know you you begin to wonder well oh, the devil now is putting thoughts in your mind so it's always helpful to to remember why jesus came in the first place he didn't come to take away all the world's problems at his first appearance he came with one specific mission in mind to put away sin to deal with the real issue of human beings and that is sin sometimes in our lives we feel disappointed because problems come to us and difficulties and sadnesses and sorrows and then we wonder well, well if the christian faith is so wonderful well why has this happened and so we need to come back to this verse why did the lord jesus christ appear and the writer tells us to put away sin and the word put away means to nullify it to cancel it to remove it to deal with its power and influence over human beings over our lives it's sin that is our real problem apostle paul speaks about that doesn't he in in the great resurrection chapter 1 corinthians 15 and uh, he talks about the sting the sting of death is sin death death is horrible death separates us from our loved ones but the real problem is the sting the sting of death is sin so sin has got to be dealt with that's why the Lord Jesus came how did he do it well the writer tells us by the sacrifice of himself the sacrifice of himself not like the Old Testament sacrifices where the high priest every year entered into the most holy place with the blood of another these people were thinking of going back you see to the old testament ways of judaism uh, and uh, and there you could at least you could see the high priest and what he was doing uh, but uh, the writer says but jesus's sacrifice is a better sacrifice because the high priest took the blood of another the blood of a bull or a goat or a calf but the lord jesus uh, christ uh, now he, he comes and um, he puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself he sheds his own blood and on the cross he offers up himself to his father in heaven through the eternal spirit it says in this chapter it's a much better sacrifice than the old testament sacrifices there are still religions in the world today we know and, and they offer blood sacrifices that would be a messy business this morning wouldn't it especially when you just had your church painted <laughs> have you had to fetch, fetch an animal sacrifice with you but
but those days are gone we don't have to do that anymore the lord jesus puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself and then some people ask another question is raised here well if if god ordained those sacrifices in the old testament didn't didn't god tell the israelites to sacrifice animals so if there was no point to it why did god command them to do it well the answer is found in hebrews chapter 10 verse 3 in those sacrifices in the old testament there is a reminder of sins every year so it's not that god made a mistake it's not that god didn't know what he was doing he put those sacrifices of animals in place for a purpose and um, one of the reasons was that as the people went through the process of animal sacrifices they would remember that they were sinners there was a reminder of sin put before their eyes but the animal sacrifice could never take away their sins all it could do was remind them of sin but now the lord jesus has come what good news on a sunday morning all of us in this room we are sinful people we have battles with sin even as christians don't you still battle with sin even though you've been a christian for many years and some sins are open and we can spot sins in other people but there are there are hidden sins and secret sins uh, the lord knows the motive of our, of our heart he knows our pride and all these things and, and and they're still there after so many years but the lord jesus christ comes and he he puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself lord jesus is able to do that because he himself was perfect in the old testament the high priest whoever it was he wasn't a perfect person so the first thing he had to do as you know he had to make a sacrifice for himself the high priest was a sinner whether it was aaron one of his brothers or the levite priest so the first thing they had to do is make a sacrifice for their own sins and then they could make a sacrifice for the sins of the people the lord jesus never had to do that he never had to come to god and, and present a sacrifice first for his own sins because he never had any sins and on that basis he's a better sacrifice he's able to bear our sins on the cross and he's done it another word is used here at the end of hebrews 9 and the writer repeats it and he says jesus has done this once as it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment we tend to use that in our witness don't we but we isolate the verse very often we don't connect it with the life of christ and his death the writer then goes on to say christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and there was a judgment for him but his judgment took him to heaven and he was rewarded by his father but the point is the sacrifice of the lord jesus christ it only needed to take place once once doesn't have to happen again and so it's, it's not our works that save us you see it's not our it's not our giving it's, it's not our sermons it's it's not how long we've been christians that those things don't save us we are thankful to god for them but 
It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that removes and nullifies and cancels sin. So his first appearance, he didn't come to solve the world's problems. And in life there will be disappointments and there will be sadnesses and sorrows. The first thing Jesus came to do, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Martin Luther ma makes this comment uh, when he was preaching to his congregation. He says, sin, sin has two places where it may be, on your neck or on Christ's. If it lies on your neck, you will be lost. But if it is, is on Christ, you will be saved. And then Martin Luther in his blunt way said, take what you prefer. And so let's pause a moment and ask ourselves a question. Where is your sin? Is it on your neck? Or is it on Christ? If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know your sins are on Him. They've, they've been taken. They've gone. When I first went to Carmarthen, um, we were knocking doors and a, a, a woman who said that she was a spiritualist, she answered the door and I remember speaking to her and I, I, we talked about the cross and I'll never forget what she said. Her words were tragic. She said, I, I, I don't want anybody else to pay for my sins. Thank you very much. If I've got sins, I'll pay for them myself. And the cross and the blood of Christ was an offense. George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright, I think he said these words in, in 1940, he attacked the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And Shaw said, it is saturated with the ancient superstition of atonement by blood sacrifice. I believe Christianity must completely get rid of this talk of blood if it is to survive amongst thoughtful people. You're a bunch of fools if you believe in the blood of Christ, George Bernard Shaw said. If Christianity is to survive, you've got to get rid of this doctrine of the cross. He's completely wrong, isn't he? It's the message of the church. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to believe it. As a Christian, you've got to keep on going back to the cross all the time. Jesus, keep me near the cross. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Where is your sin this morning? Do you know that your sin has been taken by the Lord Jesus? My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Let's come to the, the, the second appearance that's mentioned here in verse 24. Where is the Lord Jesus now? And the writer tells us at the end of verse 24, Jesus uh, now appears in the presence of God for us. These uh, Hebrew Christians were disappointed because in Judaism, you could see the priest going into the tabernacle or the temple and doing his work and, and he'd wear robes and at the bottom of his robes, there would be bells and you could see the priest going in. He would go into the most holy place, the holiest of all. They would wait on the outside, but at least you could see him going in and coming back out. It was visible. But now you see they're being told to believe in a savior that they can't see. 
and they were discouraged because they couldn't see him. At least in the good old days, we could see the priest. And the writer is putting that, that right. They, they are wrong thinking. He says we should be very thankful that we can't see him, the Lord Jesus, because always remember where he is. Where is he? The whole verse 24 says, Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands. He's not in an earthly tabernacle. Those things are only the copies of the true. Christ has entered heaven itself. Can you see the point he's trying to make? Don't be disappointed that you can't see the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember where he is. He's appearing in the presence of God for us. And again, that, that short sentence is a wonderful one. I wonder sometimes, are you disappointed? You know, sometimes you, you, you hear of a Christian giving their testimony and, and they, they claim to have seen Jesus. And I, I'm not doubting that that couldn't happen. I'm sure the Lord can do whatever He wants to do. But, but usually, it's unusual, isn't it? Usually we, we come to the Lord and we live by faith and we haven't seen Him. There's an old hymn that says, I have not seen Thy face, O Lord, but with my heart I love Thee. That's the normal in the Christian life, isn't it? We, we, don't, we don't see Christ. Does, does, does it sometimes disappoint you? But verse 24 was written to, so that we shouldn't be disappointed. He's, he's representing us. He's appearing in the presence of God for us. So, let, again, let's, let's pretend that we are New Testament uh, scholars. We are Greek experts. And the word appear there means to shine. It's a different word than the other word for appearance. It means, so you could translate it, he, he is now shining in the presence of God for us. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord Jesus Christ is not suffering anymore. He's, he's nullified, cancelled sin. He's done that once and for all. Now he's been raised. A judgment has taken place. The Father is pleased. He's ascended into heaven again. And his, his physical body resurrected is now glorified. And he shines in the presence of God for us. And he's appearing there for us. Martin Luther, again, on these words, he says this, for Christ to have ascended profits us nothing if he ascended for his own sake. But our glory and joy is this, that Jesus went there to our advantage, not our disadvantage. He is there for us. So, as a Christian, you have a representative in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ shining, appearing there. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? And, and the writer, we haven't got the time this morning to, to go through all the chapters, but in Hebrews, he emphasizes this point. We have a great high priest. Not just a high priest, but a, a great, the word mega, a mega high priest. Better than any earthly priest. And although he's there in a resurrected body, shining, 
he still sympathizes with his people on earth. He still has a human body. And there's some wonderful words at the end of chapter 4 in Hebrews where he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us. Even though he's in heaven. So whatever you are going through at the moment in your life, sadnesses and sorrows and discouragements and frustrations, the, the Lord Jesus Christ knows and feels. I'm, I'm, not, an, I'm not a musician. I never learned. I was too busy playing football in the streets <laughs> in my stig, kicking football around. So I didn't learn the piano. Uh, but I'm told that um, if you put two pianos in the same room, and you, you hit one, it resonates in the other one. Is that right? It's called sympathetic resonance. You touch a note in one piano and it resonates in the other one. And the Lord Jesus Christ is like that. When something touches you, it resonates in heaven. So don't be discouraged. You can't see the Lord Jesus Christ, but he feels for you. We know that's true. The great example of that is when Saul was persecuting Christians. And remember the Lord Jesus met with him and, and uh, Saul falls to the ground and he's struck blind. And, and then Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the Christians? Doesn't say that, does he? Why are you persecuting me? See, Saul was touching Christians. But it resonated in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ feels. And so in chapter 4, he, he says, uh, and so therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and, and we can ask for grace and mercy to help us in a time of need. We can come to the Lord Jesus and ask for his help. He knows your pains, your disappointments. He knows what temptation is, your struggles. And he's willing to help. Another old hymn springs to mind. Ask the Saviour to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. The Lord Jesus Christ is shining there in heaven for us. And he's representing you. Well, we could spend all day on this, couldn't we? Let's come to the last appearance that's mentioned in verse 28. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And with our, uh, with our Greek caps on for a moment, the word appear is different there again. It's the word that means to see with the eye. One day we will see him, not yet, but one day we will. He will appear a second time and we'll see him as he is 1 John chapter 3 uh, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is in the Old Testament the high priest would go into the most holy place and he would uh, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and then he would come back out and make an appearance to the people and the robes on uh, the bells on his robe would ring and all the people would Enter in then to a time of rejoicing. And that, that day is yet to come, you see, for us. 
The Lord Jesus has gone into the most holy place. He's still there representing us. Can't see him. Don't be disappointed about it because he still feels for us. And we can call upon him and know the help of his Holy Spirit. But one day now, he's going to come again. He will appear a second time. Apart from sin, the Bible says here, or in the old King James Version, it used to confuse me a bit. It, it says, without sin. He will appear without sin, which seems to imply the first time he came, he had sin. It doesn't mean that. It means that the first time he came, he came to deal with sin, but the next time he comes, he won't be coming to deal with sin. He won't be coming to be, be crucified, to, to be punished on the cross. He, he, he'll be coming, uh, you know, we're, we're not, not to deal with the realm of sin, because he's done that once and for all on the cross. He'll be coming, the writer says, for salvation, for salvation. So I thought I was already saved. I thought salvation already come to me if I'm a Christian. But it's helpful to understand, isn't it, that salvation is divided up into parts. Installments. We receive wonderful blessings now. We are God's children now, justified by faith, forgiveness of sins. But, but there are some blessings that are in the future. A resurrection body. A new heavens and a new earth. Those things are yet to be. And so the Lord Jesus will come and he will change everything. You come back to your building after it's been painted and how much lighter everything looks. What a transformation. You know, like those programs on television. Uh, George Clark and the others, you know, and they renovate the place. And it's completely transformed. And how much lighter and brighter everything looks. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to change everything. And how much brighter everything will look on that day. Your body will be changed. Resurrection of the body. No more aches and pains. No more heart problems. No more cancer, no more prostrate difficulties, uh, no more dementia and uh, all these things, no more growing old. We'll be perfect. How old will we be in heaven? To think about that over lunch. <laughs> Some things we don't know, do we? we? We can't answer, but we do know that there will be glory. It will be glorious. We will be like the Lord Jesus, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more devil to tempt us. The earth will be changed. It'll be renewed. Wonderful things to look forward to. Because the Lord Jesus will appear again. And so these three appearances, you see, that the writer is holding them before the Christians. And he's saying, remember them. He appeared on earth and he's dealt with sin. He's appearing now in heaven and he's there for us. One day he'll appear again and salvation in all its fullness will come and glory. So what have I got to do? Two things to finish with by way of application. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, the writer keeps on saying this. The first thing we have to do is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to him. 
by faith. Look away from the world, look away from yourself, and, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Look to Him. And as a Christian, keep looking to Him. Keep your eyes upon Him. The world will say, look at yourself. The devil will say, look at the world, look at yourself, look, look at things around you. But the Christian message is, look at Christ. Was there an old preacher years ago and he, he said something like, for, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. It's good advice, isn't it? We, we're all prone to look within, to look at ourselves, our own feelings. But, but to look to Jesus and, and that faith might be stimulated and to exercise your faith that God has given to you, look to Jesus. And then in Hebrews, the writer says, look for Jesus. Look for Him. The, the words at the end of verse 28, uh, to those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time unto salvation. So Christians are to be those who eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus. We are looking forward. And it means that there'll be a welcome for Him. And you'll be able to rejoice and there'll be trumpets sounding, and there'll be joy, and you're looking forward to it with great joy, a welcome for the Lord Jesus. Does that describe you today? Are you looking to Jesus, and are you looking for Jesus? That's where we ought to be as His people. If anyone is not a Christian here this morning, can I, can I invite you to do what the book of Hebrews says? to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sung about Him in our hymns today, that there's nobody like the Lord Jesus. Oh, how wonderful, how marvelous. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. There's nobody like Him. Personal relationship. Somebody will always be with you through life's ups and downs. In sadnesses and in sorrows, Jesus is offered to you. And you can take him and you can know him. And then we must look for him, eagerly waiting. And when he comes, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And to salvation, Terry. Amen. Let's pray together before we sing our last hymn. Thank you for your word, Lord, how it helps us. We thank you for the scriptures. Lord, they feed our souls and they point us always to the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the, the great Savior that you sent, a, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And Lord, uh, give us grace to go on looking to him and looking for him uh, that uh, when that day comes, we will be ready. Lord, bless your word to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll sing together a great hymn before the throne of God above.